The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. One of my favorite preachers is an excellent expositor of the Word of God, but like many preachers, because after all, we're flawed human beings, he has a spiritual blind spot. Every now and then, suddenly, I'll hear this man of God say something to the effect that the age of miracles has passed. How can any man of God believe that the age of miracles is past, especially in light of the many miracles happening in the rebirth of the state of Israel prior to the second coming of Jesus? Secession is preaching, claiming that the gifts of God have ceased, tragically just isn't biblical. The age of miracles can't be finished because the New Testament declares Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's equally merciful, powerful, and all-sufficient. Shalom, I'm Christine Darg. I'm here to remind you that the age of miracles hasn't passed. Hebrews 13.8 declares that Jesus the Messiah, our miracle-working Lord, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Just as the God of Israel was, is, and is to come, Jesus the Messiah's power transcends all time. The same Jesus who healed the multitudes is the same Lord who still heals today. And He will also heal us in the future as we keep faith with Him, nothing doubting. Hebrews 13.8 conveys the idea that what the Savior did for believers in the days of His ministry on earth, He will keep doing for succeeding generations. The whole period since He sat down on the right hand of God is covered by this wonderful promise in Hebrews 13.8, what Jesus, Yeshua, was yesterday and today, He will be forever, always the same, unchangeable. So don't let anybody rob you by falsely claiming that the days of miracles are past. The preachers who make the false claim are teaching that the purpose of miracles was merely to establish Christianity, and once the foundation was laid, miracles just weren't any longer needed. However, don't you need miracles? We're living in this generation and we need the benefits of the gospel. And the Lord knew that. The Bible plainly teaches that the gifts of healing and miracles were part of the Great Commission applicable to all generations in the churches. In Mark chapter 16, Jesus said that some of the signs that will follow every believer is the recovery of the sick. In his letters, the Apostle Paul also mentioned the gift of healing and the operation of miracles among the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Paul certainly put no time limit on the gifts. And in his New Testament epistle, James gave precise instructions for the ordinance of healing without any time restrictions. James stated that the prayer of faith will save the sick so let's call unbelief exactly what it is, blatant unbelief that stops us from exercising the healing ministry and stops us from believing for miracles. 
You see, when the angel Gabriel visited Mary to announce the birth of the Savior, he made the timeless statement, for with God nothing shall be impossible. It's so important to settle it in our minds that the same Savior who saves our soul can also heal our body. If anybody tries to tell you that Jesus isn't the healer as well as the Savior, they are preaching an amputated gospel. They've fallen into unbelief. A woman wrote to me that our ministry's teachings upholding the healing arm of the gospel have helped her to sustain her faith. So I felt encouraged this week to return to the healing aspect of the gospel for spiritual reinforcements since this message is always under attack and it must be meditated upon continually to keep us from lapsing into unbelief. I want to start off by reminding you of what's popularly referred to in the Bible as the law of the first mention. In Bible studies, the law of first mention is a guideline that scholars use to help us to understand the fundamental keys and principles underlying various doctrines. The first mention of divine healing in the Hebrew scriptures is found in Genesis chapter 20. But I have to give first a little background information. So bear in mind that two chapters earlier in Genesis 18, the threefold angel of the Lord had made a house call to the tent of Abraham and Sarah. And the Lord promised that the aged Sarah would give birth to a baby about a year later. So miraculously in her old age, Sarah became pregnant. And now in Genesis 20, she was with child, with Isaac, and she and Abraham were traveling into the Negev desert. Sarah's beauty was still preserved by the Lord, and Abraham was afraid that the people of the Negev would kill him in order to marry her. So he went around saying that Sarah was his sister, which was a half-truth, because Sarah was indeed his half-sister. The commentator F.B. Meyer said that Abraham's conduct in this matter was cowardly because he risked Sarah's virtue and the purity of the promised seed. The commentaries remind us that even the best of men, even men of the caliber of Abraham, have foibles and failings. And so it came to pass that Abimelech, a king in the Negev, snatched Sarah and took her into his harem. It was the second time that Abraham's fib about Sarah had backfired. The first time Abraham concealed his marital status to Sarah was back in Genesis chapter 12 when they were sojourning in Egypt. Sarah had been abducted into the harem of King Pharaoh, but the Lord had sent serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household. So Pharaoh summoned Abram and said, why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Take her and get out of here. The whole episode in Genesis 12 was like a preview in miniature of the plagues against Pharaoh under Moses and Pharaoh saying to the children of Israel, go, get out of Egypt. But now looking at Genesis 20 in the episode with Abimelech in the Negev, God protected Sarah supernaturally. 
You see, God visited Abimelech in a dream and told him, you are as good as a dead man because you've taken a married woman. Well, Abimelech quickly returned Sarah to her husband and made restitution. Then, and here's the first mention of healing, Abraham prayed for Abimelech and God healed the king, his wife, and his female slaves so they could conceive children again. For the Lord had kept all the women in Abimelech's household from conceiving babies. Perhaps God had closed all of their wombs, but the way verse 17 reads, the implication is that the king himself had become impotent because the verse says God healed the king so his women could conceive again. Well, what do we learn about divine healing from this encounter? First of all, we learn that sickness and disease can be the result of divine discipline. We also learn that in this case, not always, but in this case, the prayer of faith for healing was offered by a man of God in order for the healing to be effected. So it's important to note, according to the law of first mention, that sickness was the result of sin. It was the result of cowardice on the part of Abraham and the danger of adultery on the part of Abimelech, even though he didn't know Sarah was married to Abraham. Nevertheless, the passage says Abimelech was as good as dead in God's eyes because he was unlawfully holding another man's wife. Because of this law of first mention, even though there are many other Bible references to healing, I think that this is a good warning in the very beginning in the Bible that it's always important to examine ourselves whenever we become ill to determine whether or not the illness is due to divine discipline because of sin in our lives, either sins of commission or sins of omission. We always need to go before our Heavenly Father in prayer and humbly ask if there's something we've done and if restitution needs to be made in order for the state of health and normalcy to return to us. So much sickness and mental depression happen because we simply haven't dealt thoroughly with sin. But when we confess our sins, then we'll have peace with God and oppression can't get a foothold in our lives. Now, also early on in the book of Genesis, we learn that sometimes healing is brought about by the gift of faith. Abraham and Sarah were healed of barrenness because God honored their faith. Faith is the supernatural ability to believe God for what otherwise seems impossible. Abraham's gift of faith concerning the promise that he would be the father of many nations is described by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 4 in the New Testament, where we learn that against hope, Abraham believed that he might become the father of many nations. And it says he staggered not against the promise of God with unbelief, but he was strong in faith, giving glory to God because Abraham was fully persuaded that God was able to perform what God had promised. Now, as we move on in the Torah and we reach the book of Exodus chapter 15 and an important verse 26, God makes healing into an ordinance, a kingdom law. 
Hallelujah. After leaving Egypt, the children of Israel had arrived at a resting place, but the only drinking water that was available was bitter. God directed Moses to cast a tree into the water, and at once the water was made sweet and drinkable. Bible scholars say that tree was a type, a prophetic picture of the cross of Jesus, because by means of the wooden cross, Jesus' substitutionary atonement sweetens the bitter waters of life's afflictions. At the cross, Jesus wrought a double cure. He made possible not only the forgiveness of our sins, but by the shedding of his sinless blood, he made possible our healing by his wounds. So in Exodus 15, 26, the Lord said to Israel, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not put on you any of the diseases that I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. I am the Lord, your physician, it literally says. You see, at that point, God became their physician. If they obeyed him, they would never have any need of a human doctor. He was both king and doctor. And we have this marvelous testimony in Psalm 105 that there was not a feeble person amongst them, and even their shoes didn't wear out. Well, I looked up the Hebrew for this psalm and where it says, and there was not one feeble amongst them. The word translated as feeble is kashal, which means to totter or to waver through weakness of the legs, especially the ankles. So the implication was that nobody stumbled, nobody fainted or faltered through weak knees or weak ankles. I often think about this verse, as good as it is, because we have a better covenant with better promises in the new covenant. Because we're promised under the new covenant that by the wounds of Jesus, we were healed. How much more should we be strong and full of vitality under the new covenant? We also have this exceedingly great promise in Romans 8, 11, which is one of my best go-to verses for divine healing. It says, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells within you. Yes, indeed, this is such good news because if you're born again, if you believe in the Lord Jesus, his spirit dwells within you. And there's simply no time restriction on that verse or on its power. The very same Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead will also impart his life and energy to our mortal bodies and quicken us. Please receive this because to quicken means to become alive, to receive life, to be stimulated and invigorated. Now, when discussing this endless topic of divine healing, and I know I'm only scratching the surface today, it's vitally important to discern what's behind a sickness or illness and to deal with the root because 
This must be done in a biblical manner. We simply pray to the Lord and ask, Lord, is there anything you want to tell me about this sickness? And if we have displeased him, he will show us the sin and he will put his finger on the point of disobedience. And if we repent, he'll remove the discipline to heal us. Primarily, what I want to achieve in today's broadcast is to encourage us to hold on to the key of divine healing when I hear so many preachers trying to throw it away. Divine healing is part of the atonement that Jesus suffered to purchase for us. There's no indication anywhere in the Gospels that Jesus was ever sick. He became sick for us until the last hours of his life when through intense suffering of the soul, he began to manifest a certain medical condition, sweating great drops of blood down onto the ground as he agonized over God's will to go to the cross while praying intensely in the Garden of Gethsemane. He submitted to God's will to pay the price for our redemption. And so when he submitted to being whipped and being crucified, that was a vicarious and substitutionary death in our place. So let's go to Isaiah chapter 53, which is called God's gospel in the Hebrew scriptures. It's a prophetic preview of the crucifixion of Jesus dealing with two things, with our sin and sickness. I want us to review the Hebrew words in Isaiah 53 verse 4. The King James is a weak translation of the Hebrew. It reads, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. But the Hebrew for griefs in the original text is sicknesses. And where it says in the King James Bible he carried our sorrows, the accurate Hebrew word is pains, meaning physical pain. Now let's go over to the Gospel of Matthew for just a minute in chapter 8 and verse 17 where Matthew quotes Isaiah 53, 4, referring to the suffering servant. Matthew said this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. So Matthew accurately uses the words infirmities and diseases to connect the passage with Jesus's healing ministry. So now let's return to Isaiah 53 and let's read it in the Jewish Tanakh from the 1917 edition by the Jewish Publication Society. And thankfully, although Isaiah 53 is a controversial chapter to the Jewish people, the English version of the Tanakh does translate the Hebrew powerfully. So please listen to the healing references. Who would have believed our report? It goes on to say he had no form nor comeliness that we should look upon him, nor beauty that we should delight in him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of pains and acquainted with disease as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely our diseases he did bear and our pains he carried. Whereas we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. 
but he was wounded because of our transgressions. He was crushed because of our iniquities. The chastisement of our welfare was upon him. And with his stripes, we were healed. Amen and amen. That is a true and faithful report, infallible. That may safely be trusted. It's a faithful saying, Messiah came to save sinners. Well, in his great gem of a book on divine healing, Andrew Murray observed that it was more difficult for the Jews at the time of Jesus's earthly ministry to believe in the pardon of their sins than it was for them to believe in divine healing. But now it's just the opposite. The church has heard so much of the preaching of the forgiveness of sins that the thirsty soul can easily receive the message of grace. But it's not the same to receive divine healing. For so many, divine healing is a stumbling block and a source of mockery. Yet, I want to point out that the Apostle Peter wrote his own commentary on Isaiah 53 in the New Testament. In 1 Peter 2.24, he confirms the validity of the healing arm of the gospel. Peter wrote that Jesus himself carried our sins in his body on the tree so that we would be dead to sins and alive to righteousness. And then Peter adds, and by his wounds you were healed. So please note also that the Apostle Peter didn't put any time restrictions on the power of this verse in healing. He didn't say that only the early church could be healed by the stripes of Jesus. The promise is for all who will believe it yesterday, today, and forever. I also hear a lot of criticisms from various preachers from time to time of the exercise of the word of knowledge in the healing ministry. But be assured that the word of knowledge is a legitimate point of contact that helps a person's faith to believe that he or she is being healed. Word of knowledge is like a jump start. It simply boosts our faith. The word of knowledge is often used in healing by a person who is especially gifted by the Holy Spirit to operate in the gift of the word of knowledge. It simply means to know something by the intuition of the Spirit of God. The information about a situation or an illness or disease is communicated by the Holy Spirit internally to a minister spirit. It's just a knowing. For example, in Acts chapter 14, when Paul was preaching, he had a word of knowledge perceptively that a lame man that he was watching while he preached could be healed of paralysis. The man had been crippled from birth and had never walked. But Paul perceived that the paralyzed man had faith to be healed. So suddenly Paul said in a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet. And the man jumped up and began to walk. Paul possessed the spiritual discernment to stop right in the middle of his sermon. What would have happened if he had let the opportunity pass? Well, perhaps the man would have stayed a cripple. The gift of the word of knowledge still operates today, but it takes faith to speak it out. For example, I recall an instance when I had a word of knowledge in a meeting that a person was being healed of a certain sickness and it looked like there was no response. 
But two days later, the person contacted me and said that she was totally delivered in that meeting from the sickness and she just wanted to let me know. Well, this kind of thing happens all the time when we stay in faith, sometimes instantly, and then sometimes the healing manifests over time. Well, when we worked with evangelist Reinhard Bonka in Africa, we saw many new believers and many non-Christians, especially Muslims, healed of a variety of infirmities. When a non-believer is healed, it's a sign ministry that accompanies the preaching of the gospel, resulting also in the salvation of souls. And what about sicknesses due to old age? Well, if you have a mindset to be old and sick, that's likely the way things are going to turn out for you. But there are also many promises in this Bible that divine health can extend into old age if you can believe for it. As your days are, so your strength shall be. The main thing I want to leave with you today is not to have any points of contention or controversy between you and God. Obey Him continually. Forgive continually and renew your mind daily by the reading of the Word of God. And what about the topic of should I take medicine? This is a question that always comes up. And I want to say about doctors and nurses and medical clinics, all of these can work wonders and are especially comforting in emergencies and in tra tragic circumstances, earthquakes and various times that uh, first responders go out. One respected healing teacher gave me a wonderful insight on James chapter 1 verse 17 that covers all of the bases and also covers various levels of faith. The verse says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. And in my opinion, Medical health can be that good gift from God, and divine healing can be that perfect gift from God. That's one of the most balanced teachings that I know. Well, Jesus dealt with every case on an individual basis. For example, when it came to infections and fevers, as was the situation with the mother-in-law of the apostle Peter, what was the response of Jesus? He rebuked the fever, and that enabled her to get up and continue serving the Lord. We must consider each case and pray to the Father for definite answers. If we haven't shown a biblical response to temptation or some situation in life, we can become weighed down with fear, anger, or guilt, resulting in depression and oppression. If, on the other hand, we demonstrate a biblical response to temptations and circumstances, and if we're able to constantly release forgiveness and make confession regularly to God, then we can enjoy a life of freedom, peace, and health. That's why it's so important constantly to renew our minds by meditating on this word. Well, that's all the time we have, but this is a topic I love to share, so we'll do it again soon. And I hope you'll feel free to stay in contact via the social media or our website at exploits.tv where you can sign up for our Jerusalem Club and receive our weekly updates and newsletters. 
Don't forget to download our Jerusalem Channel app. And so until next time, always contending for the faith, including divine healing, I'm Christine Darig, Maranatha, and Shalom. From the Sea of Galilee to the desert wilderness of the Negev, Israel is the living embodiment of God's covenant promises. What happens in Israel shapes the destiny of the world, and its eternal capital, Jerusalem, is never far from the news. Politicians may be confounded by the very presence of this tiny nation that's been restored after 2,000 years of exile by the Jewish people, but God's prophetic timetable is unfolding before our very eyes. The Jerusalem Channel provides a spiritual understanding of what's really happening in our world today, but we can only continue with your support. Please consider helping us to go and grow with this media ministry. You can make a gift through our website, our app, or by post. Our mailing address in the USA is Box 2768, Stanton, Virginia, 24402. In the UK, it's Box 109, Hereford, HR4 9XR. Keep informed and pray for the peace of Jerusalem by partnering with the Jerusalem Channel.